one of the league's best two-way centers, broke the bank a couple of days ago, and if he hit the open market, probably would have been the most coveted prize of the 2022 free agency class. Sadly, we won't know what became of that. We also won't know what would have happened to him because of Banachad if he went into that spot because he got paid by the Rangers as well. Does that take them out of the Jack Eichel sweepstakes? Plus, we break down our regular season previews. Episode 289 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Before we get to our regular season previews, we got some big extensions, Brett, to yep, dissect here. For sure. Well, first off, it is, um, it's kind of uh, exciting that we uh, finally don't have the, the season preview stuff. Uh, where we were up doing team previews for the rest of the teams, but um, but yeah, now we're just doing predictions, and it's I mean by the time you guys listen to this, it'll be Tuesday. That means it's hockey day. It's uh, NHL start, I guess, uh, and then the Penguins play the the Lightning, and then um, although Crosby will will not play, um, and then uh, you'll see the debut of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, playing the Vegas Golden Knights, so that that's going to be exciting and something that I'm going to tune in for. Uh, so it's going to be like six hours of hockey, basically tonight. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So so we do have uh, some uh, yeah some some news before we we get going on our predictions and stuff. Um, but so the first big news is Alexander Barkov. Um, gets signed by the Florida Panthers, uh, eight years, uh, 10 million per year. Uh, so that's 80 million. Um, I think, uh, Steve was telling me, uh, uh, behind closed doors that, uh, that Barkov has some crazy, um, there's like bonus money or something like that, or his contract's pretty crazy. But, yeah, um, so, yeah, so the details on that is it's an eight-year, $80 million contract. 72 of those $80 million are paid up front every July 1st. Yeah. Over time. But essentially, eight out of $80 million is base salary. Like, mm. we rarely see that with any sign. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but anyways, uh, Barkov, of course, he won the Selkie last year. Um, he also had 58 points in 50 games. Uh, the year before that, he had 60 po- 62 points in 66 games. Um, then he had like 96 points in 82 games, uh, 78 points in 79 games. I can keep on going. It's like like the last four years, he's been one of the best players. Pretty like it's funny because he's like they came to the, like I feel like every Florida Panthers player is always like labeled as underrated, but Barkov's truly, like, I guess he's not really underrated anymore because he won the Selkie last year. I think everyone knows how good he is, and now he has this ridiculous contract. It's like, okay, yeah, he, he's one of the best players in the league right now. Um, and, um, yeah, so he, he is very, very good. 
Um, and yeah, I don't think like, you know, I know Steve was, has a differing opinion to me, but, um, but yeah, I don't think this was that, that shocking that Barkov signed with Florida because he's like, he's been their rock for some time. Um, of course you have Huberto there and I, I guess it's like, it's Florida. So you never really know because, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think there was any doubt that Barkov was going to get signed. Um, I remember, like, Steve kept on saying, like, what, well, what if this team signs Barkov? It's just like, that's not going to happen. So, at least I'm right that Barkov's not, didn't get signed by any other team, and um, he's going to stay in Florida for uh, his prime years. I was just trying to manifest a juicy story <laughs> going to take us into July 1st, man. Like, boy, you got to kill my vibe. Like, <laughs> I, I was just, I mean, I mean, I'm just being realistic. It's just, like, like, what... Why did you think that Barkov was going to leave Florida? It didn't make any sense. I, I, I wasn't saying that he was going to leave Florida. I'm just saying, hey, there's a chance it could happen. And if I guess there, there was a chance, chance it could happen, happen, it could make for a juicy storyline because, like, I'm sure every contending team would be lining up to take this right. guy. Like, I don't know, um, Minnesota, yep. who probably could use a number one center Montreal who could use a number one center a lot of teams Buffalo could now use that a number one center once and they don't have the caliber of Barkov yeah which which makes him in high demand now taking a look at the breakdown further of his contract he's got a no move clause from year one to year six uh and then a 16 team trade list uh for the final two years uh for the first five years he makes upwards of 10 million, 12 million the, each of the first three years, 11.6 million year four, 10 million on the nose in year five, and then it goes down to eight, 7.2, and 7.2. So obviously a hefty price for Florida to pay. The fact that uh, they don't have to deal with the tax situation, it's the same luxury with Tampa. Barkov can keep uh, more of that money than uh, a lot of the other players uh, in the league. Um, so it's obviously a great payday for Barkov. Um, it's a payday that uh, I think is well-deserved. When you look at uh, the, the overall uh, statistics of his game plan, and I know it, it shows that his best season was 96 points in 82 games, but the key thing for me is point projections over an 82-game season. As a rookie, it was at 36, then it progressed to 42 in his second year. Then we get to year three where he has a 73 point pace over 82 games, goes down slightly to 69 in 2016-17. Here's how the past four years have gone. 81, 96, 77, and then 95 last year. And again, a lot of those numbers, he hasn't played a full 82 games. Um, maybe it's because of injury. Like likely COVID the past as well. years mostly because of COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, here's how the how here's how um, the points uh, break down in terms of actual offensive numbers. Um, his first big year, he had 28 goals in 66 games. This was 2015-16. He had 59 points in those 66 games. Pretty good. 52 points, 62 games the following year. Uh, only gets 21 goals, but hey. That's still a pretty good uh, production for a two-way center. Then he gets 78 points in 79 games, 51 of those assists, pretty good. Then uh, his big year where he gets 96 points in 82 games, he has a whopping 61 assists and 35 goals. 
So now we're talking peak Alexander Barkov. And it continues in the lockout-shortened 2019-20 season when he gets 66, uh, 62 points rather in 66 games. 42 of those were assists. And then last year, 26 goals, 32 assists, 58 points in 50 games. So you're talking about a player on the rise. You're talking about a reliable two-way center that can put up some decent power play numbers. Um, his shooting percentage is also pretty good. It's around like uh, the 13 to 15% range, I would say, in the past six years. Um, for overall, when you look at his uh, power play goals, he can also produce. He actually had 13 power play goals in 2018-19. Um, and overall, his power play production, I would say 15 to 20 power play points is a good guesstimate there. But again, it's all about his ability to kill penalties as well as contribute offensively. And then you look at his face-off win percentage because, of course, the key variable is, okay, while well, he's a good two-way player, can he win face-offs? The past four years, the answer is yes, he can. Here are his face-off win percentages from 2017-18 to this past year 53 53.5% 53.7% 54.3% 54.9% and you're talking about a guy that averages around 20 to 22 minutes per game over the past four years so for team and for player it's a good contract I love what Florida has done with their roster overall when I was talking about the possibility of Barkov moving on because it wasn't a slam dunk guarantee up until this deal that he was going to stay in Florida. But I mentioned that if he left the Panthers, it would be a huge, huge blow to the team itself. And I don't think the deaf players matter as much without Barkov in the lineup. So now the Panthers have to establish over the next couple of years, okay, how are we going to structure this team moving forward? Because the good news for them is they have Anton Lindell and Spencer Knight on entry-level contracts, but we all know that's not going to last forever. they got a couple of years of that, and then they've got to pay those guys. You also have a 2023 unrestricted free agent named Jonathan Huberto, who's been just as valuable to the Florida Panthers offensively as Barkov has been. So how are they going to settle that situation when a year after Huberto becomes a UFA, Sam Reinhart becomes a UFA, and there's lots of potential surrounding him. So I I still think my point stands that within the next year or two, we're going to see a Bobrovsky buyout. Is it going to change things to the point where they get to keep Bark, uh, where they get to keep uh, Huberto and Reinhardt? I'm not really sure. That will factor into what they decide to do with their depth players because even with the Bobrovsky buyout alone. I don't think they can keep Huberto and Reinhardt in the lineup long-term when they also have Lindell and Knight to re-sign in the long-term when they get their big boy contract. Right. So um, the hard work obviously starts with Florida. The next two years are going to be key for them to win with this group, um, but they get a huge core piece of their team locked up, and that was their best possible play. So I tip to Bill Zito once again, another wise job by him. Yeah. Um, for sure, it was. It seemed like um, it was inevitable. It made sense. Um, so, I know it's like Florida is like one, base, basically one of those teams where you're not sure. Like, I, I guess it's just the market that they're in because like Florida is not mm-hmm. known for their hockey. But, um, but yeah, just like when you when you think about it, it's just like 
it's just like uh, you knew that like it wasn't going to happen where Barkov was just going to sign with Florida because um, it's Florida um, and they need him. So so it made sense. Well, there's there's also the this other thing that I remember where like the Florida Panthers have developed some really good talent yeah. over the years. But there hasn't been really that long-term commitment with right. their star players. For example, Pavel Bury had some good seasons True. in Florida. At times, was even great, but, but didn't really extend his stay long-term. Well, and it was the same with um, R- Roberto Luongo, and okay. so like the we're talking big-name players that have played for Florida. They haven't really extended their stay beyond like five or six years. There's always been this period of well. They go to another market and then they come back, or they right. don't come back at all. Well, for I classify this as a very big moment for the organization for that reason because Barkov didn't choose to leave. He choose yeah. he chooses to stay, lock up long term, and get this team one step closer to a championship. Well, so for for Pavel Bure, he uh, started off as a Vancouver Canucks, so technically he wasn't well, really a Florida. He wasn't really drafted by Florida. And, like, when he was on Florida, he was kind of past his prime. He was very good past his prime, but he wasn't as good as he was on Vancouver. Roberto Luongo, you have a, you have a case there, but at the same time, he went. He ended up going back to Florida uh, towards the end yeah, of his that's career. Why so, that's why so, they come back later. Yeah, yeah, but, but, like, still, like, I mean, yeah, I, I, like... You know, he still, like, played most of his career in Florida, so I don't know if you really even count that either, because it's like, I don't know. Um, it's not like John Tavares but is I'm going back to the Islanders. But I'm years in Vancouver, that's the thing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Um, Pavel Bure, I would disagree on. I think his prime years were in Vancouver. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I see your point, but I don't know. Anyways. Uh, that, that's a uh, conversation for another time. Um, uh, the, in other news, in other extension news, um, Mika Zibanejad, he also signs. Uh, he gets uh, eight years, $8.5 million per year. Uh, this was uh, um, an interesting story just in terms of, like, uh, just the Rangers' cap space. Not to say that he doesn't deserve it. Um, it could be one of those deals when you're, like, you know, when we're looking back, we're like, wait, Mika Zibanejad is only costing them $8.5 million? How did that happen? Um, but, uh, I mean, especially in the last, like, two years, um, or three years, uh, Mika Zibanejad has really picked it up the pace. Um, he had, um, so three years ago, he had 74 points in 82 games, uh, 30 goals in, in that season. Um, and then the next year, he really picked it up. Uh, he had 41 goals um, in 57 games. Uh, that's 75 points in 57 games. <laughs> that's like, that's pretty, pretty, pretty good. And especially when like this was one of those teams that like the Rangers weren't good um, those those past two years. Um, and I guess the Rangers weren't are still not good, but uh, <laughs> they were better. Um, and then uh, this past year, uh, he started off slow. I remember there was like a lot of reports of like or storylines of like, wait, what's going on with Mika Zibanejad? He used to be really, really good. And then all of a sudden, when you look at his stats right now, um, it wasn't too bad. He had 50 points in 56 games, 24 goals and 26 assists. I guess he just, he did actually pick it up towards the second half. 
Um, and yeah, he's, uh, he's really well-rounded and, um, um, yeah, he ended up, uh, you know, I, I think this is, you know, when you look at the Rangers center line, yeah, they have Ryan Strom, who's pretty good. They also have, uh, Philip Heedle, they have, um, you know, uh, but like, you know, and they also have, uh, I guess Brett Howden's another one. Uh, but, uh, when you look at their center depth, Mika Zibanejad is by far and away the the best center that they have um and um yeah it made a lot of sense for them to keep him locked up of course when you look at like the rangers cap space and stuff um you know ryan strom's a ufa next year uh rooney's uh i guess there's another ufa that's kevin rooney and then rfas are uh sammy blaze Kraftsoft, Kako, and uh, Gauthier, and then Lafreniere's in a, in a few more years, um, or in the, the following year, um, as well as Philip Hedl. Um, so, in terms, of, and then they, like, you know, they still have Artemi Panarin on contract, they have Jacob Truba on, co- on a long-term contract, uh, Igor Shashurkin has a long-term contract, so they have a few of those guys, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, I guess they still have seven million in cap space still, uh, but all of a sudden it's like you know pretty soon they're gonna have to decide on like who do they sign, who do they not sign. Um, but a pretty big indicator is it's probably very unlikely that they're gonna have Jack Eichel now. Uh, but um, but it's hard to say that like you know Mika Zibanejad isn't worth that much money. Yeah, so uh, first of all, my condolences to your Boston Bruins because yeah. they're looking at this contract and they're just like, well, I think we found out the li- limit for um, how low we want to go with Pasternak. Right, right, right. Um, I think this is the minimum that he's worth. Yep. Um, that's the bad news for your Bruins. Um, is a I mean, I, I take 8.5 with Pasternak. That, that's, yeah. that seems worth it for yeah. me. Yeah, did Jeremy Jacobs want to take it though? That's the thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, not, I mean, I would do it. Yeah, fair, but I, I don't, I don't think Jeremy Jacobs. Uh, uh, he, he's, uh, he's been better with that stuff now. But yeah, yeah I, I know. I, I would take an eight point five contract with Pasta. <laughs> well, I hope you're right. Uh, so taking a look at the specifics of this eight point five million. Remember when I said uh, Barkov was signing bonus heavy? Well. Um, I guess uh, Zibanejad saw that and went, I want that too, and he got it. Yep. Uh, eight out of his $68 million is base salary, so the other $60 million is signing bonus that will be paid up front. Uh, in terms of how the salary breaks down, it starts off at $8 million, which is reasonable, but then you get to $10 million in years two and four, and sandwiched in between $10.5 million in year three, and then it goes uh, below uh, $10 million there. Throughout the entire thing, he does have a no-move clause, years one through eight. And seven days prior to the trade deadline in the, 29, uh, in the 2029-2030 season, uh, that no-move turns into a generous 21-team no-trade list. Um, just so uh, the listeners are, are aware of that. Um, so it's 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 pretty pricey situation for Zibanejad. And when I take a look at the numbers for his advantage at. I definitely think, yeah, he has a, he's had a, some good years with the Rangers. Uh, definitely been one of their better goal scorers, which, hey, they need that. 
Um, they have a guy like Artemi Panarin to set people up, but they need guys to put the puck in the net. And I would argue no one has been better than Zibanejad has been. I also find him to be a streaky goal scorer and a guy that loves to score in particular against Philadelphia. Yep. Um, so if only he played against the Flyers um, like every time this season over a full 82 games, imagine what his numbers would be then. Um, but yeah, 24 goals in 56 games last year. Considering the slow start, that's very good for Zibanejad. That puts him at a 73-point pace, pretty respectable. Then this guy was just a man on fire in 2019-20. He would have a 108-point pace over 82 games if he played the full season. Instead, he got those 41 goals and 34 assists, a total of 75 points in just 57 games. The year before that, he had 74 points in 82 games with the 30 goals to his resume. That, by the way, was without Artemi Panarin because he wasn't on the Rangers yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that he can score 30 goals and put up uh, that kind of production without Panarin is very good. And up until that point, his best season was 51 points in 81 games, his final season with the Ottawa Senators. Yes, another Ottawa Senator. Uh, and I don't think he would have made this much money with Ottawa if he yeah, was probably there. Um, but yeah, we're talking about a guy that's also a very efficient uh, goal scorer for the most part. Um, that year where he exploded for 41 goals in 57 games, he only took 208 shots. So he had a 19.7 shooting percentage, by far his career high, and uh, 171 shots in just 56 games last year. Um, so an even lower shots per game average, and yet he still scored on 14% of those uh, shots. Yep. The other thing that makes advantage that valuable is, is production on the power play. He has double digits in power play goals in each of the past four seasons. Uh, in 2017-18, he had 13, followed by 11, followed by 15, followed by 10 this past year. And he can even score some shorthanded goals too, which is awfully nice to see. In terms of face-off percentage, that's where he kind of needs to work on some things. Um, in his final season with Ottawa, it was at 50.5%. His first year at the Rangers was at 52%. Then it went down to 51 It hasn't gone above 50% overall in each of the past three years. And it was actually down to 46.3% uh, last year, which was the lowest it's been since 2013-14 uh, when he was still uh, in Ottawa. So there are some things for Zibanejad to work on. Definitely a good contract for him. I think it's a bit of an overpay for the Rangers. And to your point, Brett, it definitely takes them out of the Jack Eichel running for a multitude of reasons. First of all, as we've mentioned before with Jack Eichel, he's going to have a $10 million cap hit in each of the next four years, along with a no-move clause. Um, this team needs to pay Adam Fox after this year, yep. which is at least $7 million per year right there. Uh, and then down the line, they're going to have to pay Lafreniere, uh, along with some other contracts like Keandre Miller, they're going to have to sort that one out too. So if they make a trade for Jack Eichel, even if they buy out like Chris Kreider or or a player of that caliber, I'm not really sure it's going to do much to alleviate their cap problem. So again, as per usual, the Rangers are going to have to buy themselves out of the situation they put themselves in, yeah, yeah. which isn't a good formula for winning. So as much as it's tempting to put Jack Eichel on the Rangers after this contract, I don't think they can, I don't think they can afford it. 
Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I guess it's still possible, but they have to make some some trades. To yeah, I mean, I suppose you could play. trade for Jack Eichel. Yeah. Doesn't mean you should. Right, right, right. There's a difference between I mean, and should. I mean, at the other hand, like, as I just mentioned, yeah, Ryan Strom and Philip Heedle are decent, but... I, I mean, I think you would rather have Jack Eichel over one of those two players or yeah. both of those players. So their center depth could be much better. And so, like, yeah, they could need it. But, yeah, I mean, they're they're also serviceable players and, and can get the job done, too. Um, but um, I was actually just looking at the that trade from Ottawa to New York. Uh, that sent uh, Zibanejad to the Rangers. I don't think we talk about how bad that trade was. I'm sorry to bring this up, Steve, but... Oh, I think we have, Brad. And I think we know how bad it is. Yeah, I mean, outside but... of the first year, it was great for Ottawa because yeah. Broussard was... A I was about to say... Well, I was about to get into it, it's, but... Yeah, it's... But uh, it's it, after that, it's tough to defend. I'm yeah, not yeah. going to lie. It's it's almost indefensible. So, so yes, it's, it's not only just that Mika Zibanejad... Um, was traded for Derek Broussard. But coming back was a seventh-round pick. Um, and then uh, uh, the, also, I don't know if you realize this, but a second-round pick uh, yeah. was also sent to, to New York. And that second-round pick turned out to be Jonathan Bergeron, who is a guy we talked about in our prospect review uh, for Detroit. Uh, so I guess the, the Rangers ended up trading him that, that right, but or that draft pick. But... Um, that's even crazier too that you have you trade Zabinajad with a any Broussard for like a five round upgrade um, towards <laughs> towards Broussard <laughs> and um, and, it's, and it's, it should be the opposite <laughs> it should be the opposite. Um, yeah, well, our, well, well, it should be mentioned that a couple of years later on draft day, the Sens traded. Uh, to, down to get two picks uh, that turn into Jonathan Tachanek and uh, Jacob Bernard Docker. The Rangers pick Andre Miller. Oh right, yep. With the pick that they got, so and I like Jacob Bernard. But Docker, that was a separate but, uh, trade, though. Keandre, I've seen Keandre Miller play in the NHL, and he looks yep. pretty good. Well, that was a separate trade, but yes, you're, you're yeah. right. Uh, well, while we're talking about Rangers sense trades, yeah, let's just throw that one. Well, in. Yeah, that's another one that's gonna be <laughs> that's probably gonna be pretty bad. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, anyways, uh, we should get going, though. Uh, I, should, I should remind people that we uh, the Sens traded Broussard to the Penguins, and part of the return was Philip Gustafson, so yep. they have some form of uh, the Broussard's advantage at trade left. Yeah. Uh, it's like a Steve Dingle uh, trade tree type thing. <laughs> um, Carey Price, um, he announced that he's going to take a leave uh, of, of absence. Uh, we don't know how long this is, but it's believed to be like a mental health um, uh, thing where he just needs to get his mind right, um, which I, I guess is kudos for him for at least admitting that he has a problem. I always respect any player that is able to do that, but on the other hand, it's like, you know, um, Montreal kind of needs him, um, but but on the other hand, and also if you're drafting, I, I guess... By the time you listen to this, you're probably not drafting. But uh, Jake Allen, uh, it looks like he might be a, a decent player to start to uh, draft. But yeah, all the best to Carey Price. Um, hope he's doing all right. And, um, you know, sometimes you just forget that, like, even though he's a hab and I hate the habs, um, 
you know, I respect him, and obviously, and, um, you know, I, I just hope the, you know, you, you sometimes forget about the human element stuff, so um, hope that he, he does well in his recovery, and hope he figures out what, what's bothering him, so... Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully he, um, he figures it out and we see him in the NHL pretty soon. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just a bummer when, yep. when any player is going through that stuff and you look at the road to the NHL for Carey Price, there's always been yep. expectation heaped on his shoulders growing up in Anaheim Lake BC it was near first nations reserve. And, um, you know, it's not like a city like Ottawa or Toronto. It's not like everything's like there, and and it's it's a it's a situation where you basically fight for everything you have, mm-hmm. and then he gets uh, his big break in the WHL with the Tri City Americans. Then he gets picked fifth overall by one of the most storied franchises in hockey, and there are some people like Pierre McGuire that at the time didn't really like that pick in 2005 so you have your fair share of critics there on top of the expectation that's heaped on you with being a Montreal Canadiens draft pick and then you're expected to be the goalie of the future and then you go through the AHL ranks and you're as good as they say you are and then you go through some early career struggles and then you reach the pinnacle of the NHL and then peaks and valleys from that point onwards like Carey Price has had a lot to take on as an NHL hockey player uh, with the kind of salary that he's making one of the highest paid goalies in the league right now and after a while that pressure can really take its toll and I don't know if if that directly has linked to uh, him taking a leave of absence right now but whatever he's going through obviously you you wish the best for the guy and you hope him and his family are, are doing well and they and they get this situation sorted, and he's um, he's back with the team as soon as possible. And and this is why they got Jake Allen. If Carey Price is injured, or in yep. this case, mentally going through some things, or whatever the case may be right now, if Carey Price is out for an extended period of time, they need a capable NHL goaltender to take the reins, because in the past they haven't, and it's come back to bite them. Um, so... Now that Jake Allen is still here, he's going to be relied upon heavily until Price comes back. Um, it should be noted, though, that Mark Birchman, Hatch GM, is hopeful that uh, Carey Price at some point this year will be playing NHL hockey again, which is which is good to hear, and hopefully he's right when he says that. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. And also, I know Jonathan Duran also took a mental leave last year for uh, mm-hmm. for social anxiety stuff, and he has a he has a. Somewhat, like, obviously not the same uh, journey as Carey Price has had, but a pretty similar one where he was a high draft pick and um, yeah. and all that stuff. But, um, so, so yeah, I hope that at least, like, Drew Ann and Carey Price are at least, like, you know, just at a mentally stable place um, and, and all that stuff. So we, we wish them all the best for in their recovery. Um, in other news... Um, uh, Jacob, this actually happened a few weeks ago, but we didn't really mention it. Uh, but I felt like it was worth a mention just before the season starts. Uh, Jacob Verona, or Jakob Verona, I think is how you pronounce his first name. Uh, he has um, he has a wrist. I guess it's a wrist surgery, or he, oh no, he's getting shoulder surgery, um, and that will put him out four months. Um, this is kind of like a sad thing for 
Detroit Red Wings fan. Cause yes, you, they did make bank in that in that trade uh, for Mantha, uh, and then they ended up getting Verona. But then it's like, okay, and then we get to see, okay, Verona could be a pretty good player for them. He's easily a top six player. But then you won't see him for, like, until February. Um, and who knows where D- the Detroit Red Wings will go at that standpoint. So, um, so yeah, that's it's a little bit unfortunate for him. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I guess it's not like a... Huge deal. It's not like the Red Wings were expected to do so well, but uh, if if they were going to do well, it would be because of Verona's play, and and we won't get to see that out of him. Um, yeah, that that's that's a tough situation for yeah. the Red Wings because it seems like the past couple of years there's been this expectation of you yeah. know maybe they're going to be slightly better this year. Maybe they're on the right track. Right. They're on the up and up, and then something happens and they get off to a rough start right away um, for whatever inexplicable reason. Uh, they just can't really seem to get a good start off the get-go. And in this case, it's a four-month injury to, uh, down the stretch, was one of their best players last year in Jacob Verana. So <laughs> now they're in a situation of, okay, well, uh, I guess we'll have to find another way to take that next step forward. Um, who, who can score a goal for us? Anybody? Anybody yep. else? So it, it, it's just um, a situation of if it's if it's um, maybe a prospect regressing a little bit, getting off to a rough start, or uh, one of their best players getting hurt off the get-go and missing multiple months to start the year. It, it, it's always something with the Red Wings where there's this growing sense of optimism that they're on the right track and things are going to be better this year, and then just within the first couple of months, something happens and it derails their entire season. Um, so hopefully this isn't one of those moments and they can still put together some good joints without uh, Brain in the lineup. Right, right. Um, okay, so in terms of... Uh, oh, and then lastly, um, so there was a bunch of wa- waivers, uh, uh, put, players put on waivers, because I guess today is um, at 5 p.m. is when uh, all the teams have to submit their pro roster day. Um, and so there's a lot of teams, uh, a lot of teams that put players on waivers, and uh, just it's 11:45 right now as we're taping this or recording this. Um, so we'll we'll probably find out in 25 minutes. But the most notable one uh, that that was player that was put on waivers was Alex Beret Boulay. Uh, we talked about him in our Tampa preview as well it's like it's pretty crazy he signs this three-year deal where seven fifty-eight k um and uh per year not like just singularly um and then um yeah and, it, and we thought that okay we'll we'll get we'll probably get to see him play in in tampa but um i find it hard to believe uh that um he won't get claimed on waivers I guess they preferred other players. I guess like Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk are going to be on the roster instead. Um, but um, yeah, it, it seems crazy to me that like uh, Beret Boulay is put on waivers. But on the other hand, it may just end up being something like um, what they did, uh, like what happened to Nedeljkovic last year, where uh, Nedeljkovic was put on waivers and no one claimed him. And then the next thing you know, um, 
he's like a Calder uh, candidate um, nominee. So, um, so yeah, I, I think um, if and that so it's, it could happen where Beret Boulet will make uh, everyone regret not claiming him. But again, I I feel like every time there's a notable player on waivers, like I always say, like there's no way that a team's gonna claim like not claim this guy, and then they go unclaimed, and I'm like, oh, of course. So I feel like it's gonna be a similar situation. Um, our our episode, we should be able to see the latest because I think it uh, it unlocks in at 12 p.m. So we'll be able to see. Uh, I'll. I'll give you guys breaking news on if he goes unclaimed or not but um yeah we'll see uh just an fyi before we go into the things uh there were guys that turned ptos into contracts so i'll quickly go through them right now galchenyuk back on the coyotes which means him and kessel are now teammates funny world uh tyler ennis back with the sense he turned his pto into a contract as well uh frederick gochier and jimmy vc did the same uh, in new jersey so good for them James Neal turned his contract, uh, PTO contract uh, into a one-year deal at the league minimum with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Jack Johnson still in the league with the Colorado Avalanche on a short-term deal there. Uh, and uh, should also be noted that uh, Eric Gustafson was released from his PTO with the Islanders but is now expected to go back to Chicago where he had one of the best seasons of his career a couple of years ago. Um, so interested to see what happens there. Also, uh, the Parise and Chera contracts with the Islanders are now official, both one year, both 750000 league minimum, but um, with uh, performance bonuses attached, uh, could be a bit more uh, for both of those guys, I believe yep. in the $1.5 million range if they play their cards right. Also, Jimmy VC is on the New Jersey Devils now, but yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, um, which New York team has he not played for? The yeah, Islanders, I think. The Islanders, the yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah, in terms of, uh, we're just going to do, since we already did team previews for the last two months, uh, we're just going to do, um, and not much has changed since we we did those teams and we covered them if, if they had or not, so... We're just gonna talk about. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, who we have on our. You know, the top three. Who's gonna make the playoffs? Who are the wild cards? Who are the division? The divisional top threes, and then who are our Stanley Cup uh, final stuff? And then we also have like one team to pay attention to and one player to pay attention to, at the end here. Um, so we're gonna start off with the Atlantic because of course we do. Um, so I'm going to say, I guess I'll go first. Um, the Atlantic I have, I, th- I think Tampa will, even though, yes, they got rid of their third line, um, or, you know, just due to trades and all that stuff, I still think they have enough, um, players to, to make it worth it. Um, you know, just they'll, they'll still be the first in the Atlantic. Um, I think Florida, uh, with the addition of Sam Reinhardt. I think Spencer Knight's going to be a, a very good player for them, uh, kind of like pick up the load that Pabrowski has, even though Pabrowski has been, had been decent last year, but I think Spencer Knight's going to be a, a, de- a good help for them in Florida. And also like Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhardt um, on the same team now, um, it, it, could, uh, it could lead to something that could be really good. Um, 
as much as I want to put Boston in here, I just can't. I feel like the David Krejci stuff is just going to, um, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a hindrance on them. Um, and that would, and it, as much as I believe that uh, Charlie Coyle and Jackson Nicka are ready, I, ju- I just can't do it right now. Um, but I do have them as a wild card, so I'm spoiling that. But um, but yeah, I don't think they're going to make the top three in the Atlantic. So I have Toronto um, in place of them um, in the Atlantic. So I have, so you have Tampa, so, so Florida, and then Toronto. They remain. Okay. Top three. So, so who's your who's your top three in the Atlantic again? Sorry. That's what I just said. Tampa, Florida, and Toronto. Okay, mine is similar. Um, although I think uh, some of these races are going to be very, very yep. close. Particular, the third and the fourth seed uh, in the Atlantic are going to be very, very tight. Um, I'm going to pick Tampa Bay in first, just because even though they lost like basically their third line and a couple of other depth guys. Yep. There's still the Tampa Bay Lightning. There's still the defending Stanley Cup champs, now two-time defending champs, and they have a lot of their core pieces there. Um, I, I think Florida is going to give them a real good run for their money, but I think Tampa barely hangs on, and they clinch the division, which spoils uh, my next part. I think Florida is going to be a solid number two seed in the Atlantic. Um, I don't think last year is a fluke. I think they are that good, and Sam Reinhardt. Uh, in theory, should be a uh, critical part of their offense. Uh, and now that they have a tandem of Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, I, I think they can get um, as just as many good results as uh, Drieger and Bobrovsky were able to last year. Um, on top of that, Mackenzie Wieger um, elevated his game last year. They should have Aaron Ekblad back healthy, ready to go, which is good. Uh, so I like their defensive depth as well. So, yeah, I think Florida is that good. They are for real, and they're going to be the number two seed. I do have enough faith in your Bruins uh, to put them in the number three spot, um, even if they don't have Tuka Rask in the picture for the first couple of months and he doesn't come back until January or February like the alleged plan is. Um, they still have Allmark. I still believe that Jeremy Swayman is that good of a goaltender and he can hold the fort down. Um, the defense kind of worries me and that hole in the second line center does concern me as well. But I think overall, like when you look at Pasternak and Marshawn and Bergeron, um, I think Matt Grizzlick's going to take a step forward. And then you also have Charlie McAvoy. There's still enough talent to finish in the top three it's not going to be an easy finish to the top three but i think they just barely sneak in and get that number three spot towards the end of the year all right um i'll give you my thoughts when uh, when we talk about the wild cards um okay uh when you get to uh, a metro uh who who are your top three in the metro top three in the metro <laughs> Man, this this is an impossible mission because the Metro is loaded. Um, call me crazy, but I think the Islanders are going to win the division. Um, yep. I like their overall team model. They don't look like a team that's built to contend for division titles. Or, or yeah, the, they're built to contend, but to outright win, they don't seem like that kind of a team. But they have a lot of leadership. They have a lot of guys with something to prove after the past two playoffs. You also have a guy like Zidane Ochera coming into the fold. 
that feels that he still has a lot left to give, and he's a proven winner too. Um, Zach Parise, uh, with a chip on his shoulder after how things ended in Minnesota, he comes in on a cheap contract. Um, seems like he's excited to be there as well. And just overall, um, the way they're coached, the way they approach games, they're a team that, as we've seen before, can pile up, you know, three or four straight losses, but then come right back with a seven or eight game win streak. And I think we're going to see more of the win streaks than the losing streaks this year. So uh, I, I, I have faith in the Islanders and they're finally going to do it. They're going to win a division title. Philadelphia, I would have as a strong second, and they're going to continuously push the Islanders. With the team that they built, uh, I would be I would be absolutely shocked if they weren't a top three team. Really? They're that good. Um, I think they're much better compared to the team that they were last year. Um, but they, they have no excuse. They have to do well. So I'm going to pick uh, the Flyers. Um as a solid number two, and then right behind them, the New York Rangers, uh, with the addition, less the additions that they've made. Although I do think Ryan Reeves and Barkley Goudreau are going to play positive roles, I think the bigger um, addition for them is going to be the new coach Gerard Gallant and the structure that he implements, how the offense runs, and I think everything is going to fall into place for the Rangers, and they will be good enough to be a top three team this year. Interesting. I so I have, uh, I I I have uh, the Islanders going first for a lot of the same reasons as you do. I think also like the factor of like they're going to get Anders Lee back, and I think that's going to help them a lot too. Um, and I think Sorokin's going to take another step up too as well. So that's going to potentially even help for Varlam for Lamov so that like it. Uh, you know, the pressure is off for Lamov for a little bit if, if uh, Sororkin is ready. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, they had some questionable offseason moves, but I, I think they're they're still, like, the best in this uh, division. Um, and I also am a big fan of Oliver Wallstrom, and I think he'll take another step up, too. Um, second place, this is where we differ a lot, <laughs> Steve. Um, hi... As as critical as I was in Carolina, I I can't say I can't just say that they are not going to make the playoffs. Um, I know that they 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 have a questionable goalie tandem now, um, but I I think Freddie Anderson and uh, Antti Ranta are you know decent enough. I mean, of course, if they don't get injured, but I, I think Freddie Anderson is like a li- a little bit better than. Uh, Peter Morazic, so uh, I I think they have that in spades. I mean, I think they'll probably, you know, maybe they won't be as good on defense, um, but uh, just because they lost Dougie Hamilton and all that stuff, but I, I think they will be, you know, at least they'll be second uh, in the Metro. I, I don't see them missing the playoffs uh, due to it. Um, and then... Um, and then the, my third team is, I guess this may be kind of controversial, but I have Pittsburgh at three. Um, maybe this is a little bit of a wild card stuff because I could clearly, I could also see them missing the playoffs completely. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think they have a pretty good team. Like, yeah, their, their defense is also suspect, but I think they're also going to be, um, you know, Crosby and Malkin, 
um, are still still around. Jake Gensel, they have Kasperi Kapanen, who's kind of underrated now. So I, I think they have a decent forward group, um, and that's good enough to make them um, third in the Metro. Um, once they make it to the playoffs, then they're probably going to be in trouble, but uh, I, I think they will make the playoffs. Um, and then in terms of the Eastern wild cards, I have Boston as the first wild card team. Um, and yeah, I think they will be hurt by the David Krejci stuff. Yes, of course, they have question marks on the defensive side of things. Um, and I'm, I'm not like, yeah, and I do like Olmark, although he hasn't really done well in the preseason. It's hard to really take too much out of preseason, so I'm trying not to, but at the same time, it's like, it's hard. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think they'll, they'll, they'll take a step back, but only in the sense that they'll, they'll just be in a, a wild card team instead of, uh, for sure, um, one of the top three in their division. Um, and then my Eastern wildcard team will be the Rangers. Because um, I, I think they... Um, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but like when the Rangers played the Bruins, and I saw them play a lot, especially towards the end, um, I think they were like... You know, they showed what they were really capable of. Um, and this was after like... Um, that Tom Wilson incident. I'm am talking about the like the la- their last game of the season in particular. It just showed that they had a lot of fight. Um, and Lafreniere, I think, will take a step up. Um, so will Capo Caco. Um, but um, yeah, so I have the I have the Rangers in the wild card. Uh, spoiler alert: I'm going to talk about them in, in a few minutes. But um, but yeah, so I. I, I think they will be um, a pretty good team, especially under Gerard Gallant and not uh, David Quinn. All right. So that so that means Philly and Washington are not in your playoff picture at all. Uh, yes, I don't have Philly in there. I I know that I, I can see why you have Philly so high. Um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like Carter Hart... Like, yeah, I could potentially end up regretting that because Carhartt, I know what he's capable of, but at the same time, he had a horrid season, and then they end up picking up Martin Jones. Rasmus Ristolainen isn't, like, wasn't a great pickup. I mean, yeah, Ryan Ellis could be decent for them, but, like, just all their other moves just didn't make me buy in on them. So, I, I don't... If they're going to make the playoffs, I wouldn't say that they're the second team in the Metro, but I would have them in. Um, but, yeah, maybe they'll, they'll slip in as a wild card instead of the Rangers. We'll see. Okay, then I'll put you on the spot with a secondary question. If they don't make the playoffs, are both Elaine Vigneault and Chuck Fletcher gone by season's end if they don't make the playoffs? Um, what is it? Is this uh, Vigneault's third season? Is that right? Um, I think he... T- it's either his third or his fourth. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter because <laughs> either way, um, yeah, I, I think I, I would probably, yeah, fire them both. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Both, both are gone? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so my wild card teams, um, I have enough faith in the Carolina Hurricanes where they are a solid primary wild card team. Uh, to, put, uh, to remind everyone, again, I said the Metro stacks. I don't think there's much going to be separating. I think first from, like, I don't know, fourth will be separated by, like, eight or nine points. It's going to be a very tight race. 
Um, so there's little room for error here. Um, I think Carolina's team overall is good enough to be a playoff team, um, but I think the Islanders, Flyers, and Rangers are really going to separate themselves from the pack um, to the point where the goaltending is going to make a little bit of a difference there and um, not having uh, Dougie Hamilton and Jake Bean and Warren Fogle there to help out, that that is going to affect the team to a point where they miss out on a couple of games and uh, they don't get to those points that they need uh, to secure a top three spot. But I still think they're a solid wildcard team. And then uh, for the final wildcard team, I'm going to go with Toronto. Because um, yep. I think the tandem of Morassic and Campbell is good enough to get results. But if one of them goes down with an injury, the Leafs are in a pretty tight spot again with their goaltending. They don't really have... Um, uh, they don't really have a cushion behind those two guys that can really um, carry the load uh, when called upon an emergency situation. They, like Michael Hutchinson, that's been their best option some of the past couple of years. Uh, I, I just don't trust that. But still, they have a good enough offense and defense where they can slug it out with some of those teams uh, in the Atlantic and a lot of the other teams across the league. So I think they're good enough to be a wildcard team, but uh, I think they just barely missed the top three, which means uh, I have Pittsburgh and Washington both missing the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I was I was tempted to put Washington in it, but then I was like, I don't know if they have it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and, I think uh, regression's going to hit Washington yeah. and Pittsburgh. I think the losses of McCann and Tanev are going to hurt the team more than you think. Yeah, that's that's possible. And I, I, I guess if Pittsburgh's not going to make the playoffs, it, it could also be because Tristan Jari is just isn't good. <laughs> so that, that's also, also definitely... I, I understand what, what having Pittsburgh in the playoffs is also a pretty risky move, too. They're kind of like the Rangers in a way. It's like I could see them making the playoffs. I could also see them missing the playoffs. Also, I do want to shout out uh, the New Jersey Devils. I think they they might have a shot at the wild card as well. Um, I I was tempted to put them in, but then I was like, yeah, I think the Rangers have a better shot. So um, interesting. Okay. Um, all right, let's go to the Central. Um, who do you have for the Central? Oh, jeez, Colorado. Oh, shocker! Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Big surprise. Um, e- even with Darcy Kemper and Pavel Fran- Franzus, um, a tandem where you're not really sure health-wise what you're going to get, and Franzus, surprise, surprise, is on the shelf, which means their plan B is Jonas Johansson to start the year. Mm-hmm. If Kemper goes down, well, that could put the abs into quite the predicament there. But again, like they have Rantanen, they have Landis Cog back, they have Nathan McKinnon motivated as ever, they have Gail McCarr, um, a lot of secondary scoring besides those two names, and they didn't really lose too many offensive weapons either, so I think they're they're still the clear-cut favorites to win that division, so not much of a surprise I have Colorado in first. This is where it gets interesting, is everywhere else. Um, I think similar to the Metro Division, second through fifth, not much is going to separate these teams, but um, those little factors, what they got in the offseason, what they didn't get in the offseason, that's where it's really going to come down to the wire there. I think St. Louis has just enough 
I mean, just enough to get that second spot. It wouldn't surprise me if they slid down to third or fighting for a wild card spot. But I expect Bennington to bounce back. I expect the team as a whole to play better. Um, so overall, I, I like their chances um, in that division. And they'll they'll be a week two seed, but they'll be good enough um, to to be the number two in the central. Uh, number three, I can see them finishing second, but I have them at number three right now. That would be Minnesota. Now that they have Kaprizov um, locked up to a five-year extension, uh, we've already discussed how important he is to that offense, and um, the current team that they have there is going to be solid enough to contend for playoff spots. Last year's progress I don't think was a fluke, and they are that good. And uh, in theory, they should continue to improve from here on out. So right now, I have them as uh, the third seed. So Colorado, St. Louis, and Minnesota is my top three. Yep, uh, I have a pretty similar uh, three than than you. I I also have Colorado first for a lot of the same reasons as you said. Uh, I know that they. I mean, I could see them maybe disintegrating because Kemper isn't uh, Philip Grubauer, but at the same time. Um, I, I think, like, Kemper has been pretty good when he's healthy. There is a potential, I guess, where, like, Kemper gets injured and then Colorado's screwed all of a sudden. But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, and uh, But, uh, yeah, I, I, so I still think that Colorado's the top of that division. And it's a pretty tough division because I could see, like, pretty much every team except for Arizona making the playoffs um, um, in this division. Uh, yeah, fair. <laughs> uh, in uh, second place I don't have St. Louis but I do have Winnipeg um, I, I have them in second I think like yeah like you know the, the, for, for a couple the past couple of years their defense has been um, maligned or you know has been kind of talked about as their weak point but I think when you look at their playoffs and how they were able to shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl and um, and I, I think they're decent, and of course they're like, you know, when you have guys like um, uh, Kyle Connor, uh, Blake Wheeler, uh, Mark Shifley, um, and even like Nick Ehlers, who had a phenomenal season this past year, um, I, I think that they, ha they have probably one of the best forward groups um, in the league, so I, I, I think they, that puts them good enough in the second place. Um, like you, I have Minnesota uh, at three, but I don't feel confident about it because I could easily see them making the wild card and, and taking a step back because they, you know, they don't have the benefit of playing against all the California teams uh, like they did last year. But at the same time, like, I, I will, and like, they didn't really address the center situation. Like, yeah, Joel Erickson act that they signed, but like, I, I think they should... They need more players like that, or more center depths like that, and maybe Marco Rossi fills that role. But I guess that's not like a given just yet. Um, so, but uh, but I have them for third because I, I think they are still pretty good um, and, and should be uh, the third place team in the Central. Um, in as for the Pacific, this was actually the the hardest one to pick because there's a few like besides Edmonton and Vegas. Um, there aren't really, like, like pretty much every other team is, like, a questionable team. 
So, um, I have Vegas going first, but I could easily see Edmonton going first because um, it's tough to... Uh, I, I, I could say this. <laughs> I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to say that they're tied. Both those teams are going to tie for first place. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think in terms of, like, uh, Edmonton, they have... Uh, I mean, yeah, Duncan Keith, who knows what's going to happen with him, but it's hard to, like say that they aren't uh, one of the better teams in the league when they have Connor McDavid, who's the best player in the league, and then you have Tricidal, who's arguably the second best player in the league. So, um, so yeah, I, I think they they should be still pretty good. Um, and um, th- speaking of, like, best forward groups um, in the league, it's just, like, even just McDavid and Tricidal just puts them up on the top of the top. Um, and... And who knows, maybe Darnell Nurse will take a step up and prove that he's worth that contract, but we'll see. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, and then in terms of Vegas, um, I mean, you've kind of already, I guess you've mentioned this before the show, um, you know, they're kind of like one of the most well-balanced teams in the league. Um, in, in the terms of, like, the forward groups, they have Mark Stone, Pacioretty, um, and Riley Smith and, and Jonathan Marcheseau. Um And I, I guess, like, on the center depth, I guess that could improve a little bit. But um, and, and assuming they don't have Eichel, like Chandler C- Stevenson uh, could be pretty good. Who knows? Like, you know, Nolan Patrick does have some potential, and maybe he just needs a change of scenery, and, and Vegas could be that place. Um, as for the third spot for Pacific, for the Pacific, um, I I guess I have I have Vancouver. I was going to say Seattle just to be the like the cool person here, but um, but I think Vancouver I think takes a step, uh, you know, just bounces back from what they were two seasons ago. Um, I think Pedersen will be healthy again, and Quinn Hughes will be good. They don't have to worry about COVID anymore, because that was what decimated their season last year. I mean, they were bad beforehand, but Pedersen's going to be healthy again. Um, and then they also have the additions of uh, Connor Garland and OEL, which I think will help both their defense and their offense as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll be pretty good and good enough to be third place in the Pacific. Interesting picks, interesting picks. All right. Um, Vegas is the most all-around team in this division. They're they're going first, easily. Uh, didn't have to debate much thought. It's Vegas and then everyone else in the Pacific. As I like to call it, the box of chocolates division. Because <laughs> you, you just don't really know how things are going to play out here. Yep. Um, yeah. Obviously, their center depth is the main concern. And how things are going to work with Leonard and Brossois as the tandem is also a big concern. But it's a lot bigger than the concerns that Edmonton has. I do think they have improved in terms of depth forwards. But in terms of team defense, I don't think they improved nearly enough. And also, again, as I mentioned in the season previews when we talked about the Oilers, I I really went to town on their decision to stay with the same goalie tandem when they had a lot of free agency options that they could have gone with but chose not to 
And now that Staylock is probably going to be out for the entire year with that heart condition that he's developed during the pandemic, if one of Koskinen or Mike Smith gets hurt, particularly Mike Smith because, you know, he's pushing 40, that puts them... Uh, that, that puts them into so many difficult situations to the point where they almost have to trade for a goaltender like Jonas Corpusel or Braden Holpe, a short-term goaltending option, right. because they don't really have anyone in the system that I don't think is NHL ready. So for that reason, um, it was an easy decision to put Vegas in first and Edmonton in second. Edmonton's still going to be a second-place team in the Pacific because... How can you look at Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and say, yeah, that team's not good enough to be a top three team? They're definitely good enough. But I think they're going to be one of the weakest two seeds in the NHL this year just because of the uh, the flaws that they have within their lineup. And I think in the playoffs, those flaws could be exposed in a variety of ways. So for that reason, uh, Vegas is first and Edmonton's in second. Then we get to the third seed. And screw it, I'm going Seattle. I think their forward group is underrated. I like what they've done with their defense. And I think the tandem of Grubauer and Drieger is going to be good enough where this team is a top three team. And I can definitely see a situation where they even surpass Edmonton for second place if they play their cards right. But I'm not going to hedge my pet against McDavid and Dreisaitl for now. So for now, Vegas, Edmonton, Seattle, in that order, my top three in the Pacific. Interesting. Um, all right. In terms of Western wild cards, who do you have? Uh, shocker. Both Central Division teams uh, comprise the two wild card spots, Winnipeg and Dallas, in that order. Mm-hmm. I like what Winnipeg has done to shore up their blue line. They have Connor Hellebuck in net. Their top six is pretty good. And if Pierre Luc Dubois shows up offensively, yep. I think uh, they'll be even better this season. Uh, same with Andrew Kopp if he continues uh, what he did last year in the first half. Dallas, I think, is going to bounce back. Um, They were wrecked with COVID, wrecked with injuries, and even though they missed the playoffs, they were very, very close to making it. And part of the reasons were because Jason Robertson had a good year, because uh, Rupe Hintz continued his offensive trajectory in a positive way, and they still have Heiskanen and Klingberg on the back end, coupled with some very good goaltending. And, like, they have four goalies right now which I don't think it's going to stay that way the entire year, but the bottom line is they have options between the pipes that can, that either option can uh, do pretty well and uh, get wins at the NHL level. So I think Dallas isn't good enough to be a top three team in that division, but they are good enough to make the playoffs. Uh, I don't like Calgary and Vancouver's chances based on what I saw last year. Vancouver in particular, yes, they definitely improved in some aspects, but there was that preseason game against Edmonton, and I know it's probably not wise to invest all your time and energy in these predictions and preseason action, but there was a section of the first period um, this past Saturday where the Canucks were out shooting the Oilers, I think it was 11-2 to in the first period, and... In a span of the next six shots, all from the Oilers, the Oilers go up 2-0. And then eventually they're up 3-0, and I believe the the Oilers hang on to win the game despite a late push from Vancouver. Um, So 
I think it's going to be situations like that where the Canucks really shoot themselves in the foot, and uh, that'll be the difference between making and missing the playoffs, especially when you look at the Central Division and how loaded that division is. So, yeah, um, the, I, I, that's why I'm not putting either Calgary or Vancouver as my wildcard picks um, and why Winnipeg and Dallas are good enough for, to be playoff teams. Yep. Um, so I'm going to shock you with my Western wildcard pick, at least one of them. I have Chicago um, as the first wildcard pick. Um, I uh, I think that, they, yeah, with the addition of Marc-Andre Fleury, I don't know if you realize this, but he won the Vezina last year. Uh, so so it's, it's kind I of... I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you realize that. But I think that was like a big, like, you know, like Chicago is, you know... Yeah, they were a bad team last year, but they were. I don't. I don't know if you remember this, but they almost made the playoffs, and they had Kevin Lincoln in as their primary goalie, and uh, yeah. Mark Andre Fleury is a lot better than Kevin Lincoln in. You also add the fact that they have Seth Jones in now, um, and of course he can never like and and Jonathan Taze should be recovered now as well. So. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think they'll be in the top three in the central because it is a tough division. But I, I definitely think that with the addition of Seth Jones and Mark Andre Fleury, yeah, they should make the playoffs um, and and be a wild card there. Uh, Dallas, I also have as my second wild card pick. So that's, I guess that's same same as you do. Um, but I I think that that's a um, yeah they have. Um, like I, I basically what you were saying before is that they had guys like Jason Robertson um, who who had a breakout season. I think that will still continue. Um, and then you know Rupe Hintz is pretty underrated as well. I feel like every got player is underrated, but Rupe Hintz, like I don't know if you realize this, but he had like a I think he had like a like he had a point per game play uh, season this past year. So so yeah, he's pretty good too. Um, and also, you didn't even mention the fact that uh, Tyler Sagan, um, he's going to be back. And Alex yeah. Radulov is also going to be back, too. So they get those guys, and that can only help their depth even more. Um, and then they have a plethora of goalies. Um, I, I would assume that it'll just be uh, Ottinger and um, and uh, what's-his-face? Um, Kadobin. Kadobin. Um, but, like, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, Bishop comes back to his form, um, or it wouldn't surprise me if Holtby comes back to his form. Um, so, like, you know, even though they have four goalies, and I agree with you, they're probably going to trade one of them this coming season, but I, I think they have a good mix of goalies, and at least one out of, one of, out of those four is going to be uh, decent for them. Um, and if it starts to be a horrid season, then, then yeah, they can trade one of them or two of them even and uh, figure it out. But they shouldn't trade Jake Ottinger. That seems to be the goalie of the future. Yeah. Um, it would not make any sense <laughs> if they traded him. Um, okay. Uh, uh, I, I, th- I think in terms of shockers, if you wanted to shock me, you would have San Jose as one of the wild cards. Oh, uh, wow. I was actually. I can at least I can at least get behind Chicago, San Jose. Yeah. I was like, no. Right, right, yeah. I was actually tempted to say that I think like one of the California teams was going to make the playoffs, but then I was like, when I was thinking about it, like 
like they're they're kind of like the true wild cards of the playoffs because because yeah. they're kind of like you know I think all three of those teams are in a similar stage where they are rebuilding just based off of their high draft picks, but like you know Byfield, Zegris, uh, Drysdale, um, and even I think Eklund's going to make the team too. Um, so, like, you know, they have a bunch of young guys that should be good for them for the, the upcoming future. But then, you know, they also have some old guys, too, in Getzlav and uh, Couture and, um, um, like, you know, Kopitar, Doughty and all that stuff. Uh, so, like, you could see them, like, maybe making that push. But, um, but yeah, I, I think all three of those California teams probably have one more year where they're... Um, they're still going to be um, in, um, like, a bubble team. But yeah. um, I, I was tempted on doing that. Also, Seattle was another team that was like, maybe they'll make the wild card, but um, I was just like, you know what, let, let me go with Chicago and Dallas. I think the Central have a, a, a the best, it's the best division of the, of the four divisions. Um, in terms of Stanley Cup finals, um, I have... Colorado over Toronto. Um, I think this is the year that Toronto actually makes it far. I feel like we say this every year, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I think Toronto will will do it uh, this year and and be the. But they're gonna lose in the Stanley Cup Finals, <laughs> so so they, they still the drought won't be over for them. But um, but I do have them making the Stanley Cups. I'm going to say Vegas over the New York Islanders. Oh, wow. I think the Islanders have what it takes to finally reach the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, but this is Vegas's year. Um, I don't know how many years of success they're going to have beyond this year. They, it, I, I would assume still a fair amount. But they're running out of legit chances to win with this current group, with the salary cap situation. Um and you know they they spent a lot of money to keep Alec Martinez around. They also made a trade for Evgeny Dadnov. Um, so in terms of like overall depth, um, I think they're running out of chances to win with this group. Um, so with this current situation in mind, um, this is going to be a must-win year for Vegas. I think they finally um, get to that next level. I think Brassois and Leonard will do good enough to get them there. Um, but I think it'll be a seven-game series against the Islanders. Um, I think the Islanders are ready to finally get to this point. Uh, they've pushed Tampa Bay to some very uncomfortable situations, and they haven't looked phased in those moments either. Um, they, they just fight right to the end. They give you everything they have. And with... Tampa losing a, a lot of the deaf pieces there. I think the Islanders' time to win is right now. And uh, they are going to get very, very close to that uh, Stanley Cup title. Um, but I think Vegas just beats them out by a couple of goals. So yeah. I would say Vegas or the Islanders. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I guess, I feel like it's like the, the actual... Um, Stanley Cup final is going to be Colorado versus uh, Vegas or like Colorado versus Edmonton because I, I feel like it's it's gonna it's really up between those those three teams. Um, 
Okay, uh, wh- uh, so so now we go to the one team to pay attention to and the one t- player to pay attention to. Um, I, <laughs> this is kind of exciting for both of us because uh, we were talking about this pre-show that like there's a chance that we could choose the same player, there's a chance that we could choose the same team. But uh, so I'm gonna have you go first on what what's the one team that you pick to pay attention to. Um, one of the team, I think probably the team that has uh, the most syllables in their name, Philadelphia. Wow. Um, and they've arguably spent the most money in terms of total dollars because while they made those trades for Ristolainen and Atkinson, um, they also extended contracts for Sean Couturier and Joel Faraby. So in terms of actual dollars uh, invested in over the offseason, it's a lot more than the players they traded for, the players like Keith Yandel that they signed. Um, it, it includes re-signings as well. So they've really invested a lot during this offseason, and they're really going for it this year. The problem is, as we've mentioned various times, in the history of our podcast, the Metro division remains to be one of the toughest divisions in hockey, and they're not a slam dunk favorite to win the division. They're not a slam dunk to even get a top three spot or even get a wild card spot. Um, I can definitely see a scenario where Philadelphia makes the playoffs because that division is so tight. Um, but at the same time, they have the team to at least be a top three team. And frankly, they have a team that, uh, I, I would argue could easily win the division, uh, but it all depends on how these guys perform, particularly Carter Hart and Martin Jones between the pipes. Um, I was looking at the preseason schedule earlier this week. They were playing Washington and they got three goals against the Caps, which is great, but Martin Jones was in it and uh, the Caps got five and therefore the Flyers lost. So th- this is going to be a situation to watch the entire year. It's why I didn't pick Edmonton. It's why I didn't pick the Rangers because of, you know, the expectations aren't really on them to deliver as much as it is on Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is in one of the toughest situations. So they're they're in a situation where consi- consistently every night, you're not really sure how things are going to shake up for them. So for that reason, for those reasons, um, there are several reasons uh, to watch the Philadelphia Flyers uh, throughout the rest of the year. I think there's going to be a lot of peaks and valleys. Uh, and I'm interested to see... Um, how they finish, how good they are, how good they can be, and uh, ultimately how these new faces um, integrate themselves uh, into the lineup and what Vigneault decides to roll with on a nightly basis. So, yeah, they're probably my most intriguing team, and I'm going to be watching every second of their games. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I guess you know that I don't have them as a playoff team, so I guess that's, that's how I feel about them. <laughs> Um, yeah. You actually just mentioned the the team that I was about to to talk about, and I'm still going to yeah, talk I about the feeling I knew exactly who it was because they were actually I was debating about talking about them, but I ended up not doing it. <laughs> and I mean, I, I did say spoiler alert, and we all actually already talked about them at the beginning of the show. But I'm going to talk about the New York Rangers. Um, yep. They are uh, so we already talked about Mika Zibanejad. Uh, he had 50 points in 56 games, but he's not even their best player. Uh, he's Ar- That's Artemi Panarin, 
who had 58 points in 42 games, um, which is insane um, when you think about it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so they have also, like, Ryan Strom did pretty well. He had 49 points in 56 games. Um, and then they have uh, the Norris Trophy winner in Adam Fox in 47 points in 55 games. Uh, the reason why they're pretty intriguing is uh, kind of twofold. One, um, they ended up, you know, because, like, y you know, you would, ex when I just read those stats, they also have, like, Igor Sitchurkin, who's pretty good, too. Um, like, you would think that this, this team is a playoff team, but they're not. They haven't made the playoffs in, I think, like, Five years, I think. Uh, you, you you could look that up, but they haven't made the. Do you count the playoff bubbles and planes? Yeah, yeah, I, I would not. Um, so I'm okay. I'm gonna say. Then, 20, then it would be uh, it would be 2016 17. Okay. Uh, when they lost to Ottawa in the second round. Okay, so that would be that's five years. Uh, so I was right. Uh, uh, no, four. Four years. Four the last years. four years. They almost four years. Okay, almost five years. Yeah. But like so, but anyways, like you would think that like just because I read those. Like, those are their, like, four best players, five best players. You would think that that would mean that they are a playoff team, but no. In fact, they won the draft lottery one year. Uh, they also got second overall, and I think that's why they're pretty exciting, because, uh, so Capo Caco, who was the second overall pick in 2020, uh, uh, sorry, 2019, um, and he was supposed to be pretty good, but he hasn't really made it so far just yet. Um, however, it is worth, he had 17 points in 48 games. Um, however, it is worth noting that he, uh, he had 10 points in the la in his last 20 games, um, of the year. Um, and, uh, and he's also like, uh, he doesn't have, um, he had 14 minutes of ice time this past year. Um. Alexis Lafreniere, uh, who was the uh, first round pick, uh, first overall pick in 2021, uh, or sorry, 2020, and it's his birthday today. That, that's awesome. He just turned 20. Um, and uh, yeah, he has, he played in even less time, 13 minutes, uh, 53 time on ice, and he had 21 points in 56 games. And then um, he had uh, 11 points in his last 21 games, um, so, or in April and May, basically. Um, so, like, he was just getting going, um, and it's crazy because he had, like, 13 minutes of ice time, 14 minutes of ice time, pretty much on average. Um, and I think a lot of the reasons why, like, Kako and Lafreniere had such limited ice time was just because David Quinn was not giving it to him. I guess he just didn't want the rookies to have any ice time, which is kind of strange when you think about it, because David Quinn, he was a college coach. Uh, you would think that he would tend to be, like, you know, for the younger teams and stuff. So they're interesting in, the, in that sense, where it's like, okay, you add in Gerard Gallant. Um, he's a guy who's been in, uh, you know, who was in Vegas, and, um, you know, he coached this team to a Stanley Cup Finals. And this is going, this team is a lot better than that, that Vegas team that he had. So I am curious to see how he does it. Uh, and then the other uh, standpoint that, that's going to be kind of interesting is, is that uh, they, had, um, they had an incident with uh, the Washington Capitals. 
uh, where Tom Wilson basically just destroyed their life um, and they destroyed Pavel Buznevich and they destroyed Artemi Panarin um, and injured both of them. And then that made the Rangers say, like, you know what? Let's uh, let's get tougher uh, because we don't want that to happen again. So they trade Pavel Buznevich, uh, who had 48 points in 54 games, which is very, very good. Um, and they ended up getting Sammy Blaze in St. Louis. They also ended up getting Ryan Reeves. Uh, they also, uh, you know, a lot of their pay, I think there was other free agent moves that they made, but I'm blanking on it now. But so they, they got, uh, let's see, they got Brandon Sod. Brandon Sod is the um, As I mentioned earlier, they Wait. got James Neal in a PTO and they signed him to a cheap contract there. Well, that's St. Louis. That's St. Louis. I'm talking about the Rangers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, well, they got Berkeley Goudreau. They got Gu- Berkeley oh, yeah, Goudreau's another one. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's another one where it's like, oh, right. He, like, that's another, like, sandpaper guy. Yeah, he was on Tampa, but who knows? But it's like, you have this mix of, like, the Barclay Goudreau's, the Sammy Plays, um, Ryan Reeves, and then you have like the youth movement of Lafreniere, um, uh, Kakao, uh, even like K. Andre Miller, who we even talked about too, Kraftsoff could get in, Filipito. Um, you also have, uh, you know, uh, Niles Lundquist, who we talked about in our season period. We may end up seeing him as well. And then you have guys like Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox, um, Chris Kreider, who are all like legitimate, legitimately good players on the team. Um, so it's like it's a, it's going to be a weird mix between those three kinds of players. And I'm just I'm going to be watching a lot of their games because I'm going to be curious how that works because I could see them being one of the best teams in the league. I could also see them not be one of the best teams in the league. So it, 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 they could be all over the place this year, and it will be interesting to see because this could easily be a disaster for them, but it could also end up being like, okay, they, they've been rebuilding for a while, and now we see their fruit of their labor. Um, and, and, and this could be um, an interesting aspect and an interesting season for them for sure. Um, and I, I think like the coach could help them a lot. I, I think that's the other element to it as well. It's like I think Gerard Gallant is a pretty good coach. We've been wondering like where he would go, and it ended up being him. Um, as for the one player for me to pay attention to, I kind of alluded to this a little bit um, when we were talking about playoff predictions, but I'm actually going to go with uh, the Tyler Sa- Tyler Sagan. Um, and the reason why I'm picking him is that he, um, like, I, I don't think we're going to expect to see what he was able to do in the 20, uh, 2013-2014 season, where, which was his best season, um, where he had 84 points in 80 games. Um, but, um, but I think it's, and I do have Dallas in, in it's a wild card, but I think a lot of that, is going to be because of um, of what Tyler Sagan's able to do. And uh, if you don't re- remember, but uh, Tyler Sagan had like, uh, I think he had like a, forget if it was like a, I think it was a hip injury, um, but he had a hip surgery, or some surgery, that, that kept him out for most of the season. Um, and then he finally comes back, um, 
with uh, uh, and he plays three games. He actually scores two goals, um, and and it's going to be interesting to see um, if like how good Tyler Sagan's going to be because of that. Uh, previously, before the injury, he had fifty points in sixty nine games, um, and then he had eighty points in eighty two games. Um, and then previously, even before that, when he played a full season, he had uh, 78 points in 82 games in the 2017-2018 season. Um, but, like, it's also worth noting that, like, in the bubble uh, during the playoffs, he was easily their best, the Dallas' best player, um, where he had 13 points in 26 games. And he had, like, pretty much every injury under the sun um, for, for Dallas. So... So it's just like if that's what he's able to do when he's like you know fifty percent, like I can't imagine what he's able to do when he's now presumably a hundred percent, and that's going to be the ultimate question because Dallas almost made the playoffs without Tyler Sagan, and and I feel like um, the the Dallas's playoffs hopes are purely going to be on how good Tyler Sagan can be uh, a year after he's. Um, he's been injured, so I'm gonna be watching out for him because he. I guess he's like if we're t- if we're taking a bets. I guess he he is a, a front runner candidate for the Masterton, um, just because like he could come back and he you know we all thought that he, you know maybe his career was done because he you know he had a serious surgery. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to be curious to see how he, he does after that surgery. He's one of the true wild cards of this season. Yeah, definitely definitely the definition of a player to watch. And um, you, you're right when, I, when you said uh, that uh, probably we're not going to have the same players. Because yep. Tyler Sagan didn't really cross my radar, but you make a good argument to why I should keep tabs on him. So yep. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely do that. Um, I, for me, I was hemming and hawing between two former Buffalo Sabres. Um, the first one is the one I didn't go with, and that was Linus Olmark. Uh, mostly because you have the goaltending situation in Boston where you might have Tuka Rask towards the second half. You have Jeremy Swayman in the mix, and then you have Olmark, uh, who if you're uh, the Bruins, you're investing a lot of money in, $5 million per year over the next four years. And... You're looking at his numbers and you're hoping that the outliers uh, in Buffalo say he's as good as as they think he is. And he's just really going to pop off once he gets to Boston. But there's also the injury history and a bunch of other things. So for those reasons, that would make me want to watch every single minute of uh, Linus Allmark's season. Um, And I probably still will. But... The guy I'm paying most attention to is Sam Reinhardt and how well he does in Florida. Um, I've said before how important Alexander Barkov is to the Florida Panthers and how well they do moving forward and what he means to that team overall. However, how good the Florida Panthers are, I think, leans a lot on what Sam Reinhardt does. Uh, and you look and you look at his numbers last year with Buffalo, and given the circumstances, he had an incredible year. 25 goals, 40 points in 54 games. That's a 61-point pace over 82 games. That's uh, just under the 65-point pace uh, from 2018-19. His best season in the NHL when he had 65 points in 82 games, 22 goals, 43 assists. 
Um, so his second best campaign in terms of um, 82 game pace was last year, a year where the Sabres traded Taylor Hall and didn't have Jack Eichel for almost half the year, didn't have Linus Olmark for a good chunk of that year too. A downright bad Sabres team, and Sam Reinhardt was by far and away their best player from start to finish. Um, and um, a key part to note about that is he only took 130 shots last year and still scored 25 goals, tying a career high from uh, 2017-18. So that means he had a shooting percentage of 19.2%. You guessed a career high. And in a lot of the other years that he played, it was around... 12 to 15 percent which is pretty good so you're looking at this guy that's never had a 200 shot season in his career to date um but he's had some respectable ones and has been pretty efficient in terms of goal scoring also a very good point producer and goal scorer on the power play um he had 10 goals and 16 power play points uh with the main advantage last year on that sabers team and in 2017-18, when he had 50 points in 82 games, 25 of those were goals. He had, let's see, 12 goals and 21 points with the extra man. By far his best power play showing in a single NHL campaign. And we're talking about a guy that averages three minutes per game on the power play, but overall hasn't really hovered around 20 minutes per game uh, up until a couple of years ago. Traditionally, he's a guy that can rack up 17 to 18 minutes per game easy. But uh, beyond that, uh, not not really trusted in, in all of those situations uh, in Buffalo. So now that he's on Florida, with a lot of depth around him, um, and you also have guys like Sam Bennett in the mix, and Carter Verhage, who is coming off a career season in his own right, I'm interested to see, A, how Sam Reinhardt fits into this offense, and B, what he can do on this offense in all situations. So for those reasons, Sam Reinhardt is my player to watch this year. Yeah, I uh, well, I hope you're you're on to something, because I have him in one of my fantasy teams. Um, <laughs> my One of my best uh, teams that I have, so... Uh, so yeah, I, I do hope that he. Uh, usually, it's like a risk to have like a player who's going on a new team, but um, but yeah, hopefully it ends up working out for for us and for Sam Reinhardt. Um, yeah, uh, that that's a good pick. Um, all right, I guess that that about does it. It's kind of crazy that it's like I'm not used to our episodes being so short now. Um, <laughs> under two hours. Under two hours. I know it's crazy. Um, but, uh, and I, I was expecting to see if, um, to the point that I was expect, I thought like we would find out if Beret Boulay has been claimed or not, but we haven't yet. Um, it seems, um, so, so I guess you guys will probably find out, but, um, <laughs> unfortunately we don't. Um, so you can catch us on, um, on SoundCloud, iTunes, um, wherever else you get your podcast, Spotify. Um, and then you can also follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Bowser. We'll talk again in episode 290 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.